We're going to get a little snow along about the end of the morning rush, so be aware of that if you're going to be starting your day later than normal. But if you're starting early, it should be okay. Do be aware that, as Renee has been telling us, they are now enforcing the HOV lanes, which means that exactly four people will be using them later today <laughs> between the hours of 6 and 9. That's right. Because they, 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 we just don't have that many people that carpool. Sorry. I, I've been driving on that before and thinking, what time is it? Am I okay? Yeah. Should I get over? I, I know. <laughs> I it panic. Does, it does dawn on you. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank goodness. It's 9.07. You know, right. And you get out of here soon enough. Um, we start out the day in record-setting territory on Wall Street. Both the Dow and the S&P uh, established new records yesterday. General Motors will release its quarterly earnings at 8.30, and they're expected to show that they would have been $1 billion larger, but for that uh, labor strike with the UAW. and uh, But all in all, it looks like they had a pretty good year, uh, $3.8 billion in adjusted earnings before interest in taxes. Uh, it's, what's going to be interesting is their forecast for the year ahead, given some of the challenges they have with EVs. Meantime, yesterday, if you had a chance to look in on the testimony in the Jennifer Crumley involuntary manslaughter trial, it was like we got to be the literal fly on the wall. Mm, really? As the parents came in, confronted police for the first time, but also saw their son, the shooter, for the first time with full knowledge. Mm-hmm. He had murdered four riveting, classmates. Riveting yeah. stuff. It was uh, day three in that ongoing criminal trial of Jennifer Crumbly, and prosecutors continued to build their case alleging that the parents of the Oxford High School shooter failed to provide adequate care that could pre- have prevented that tragic uh, incident on November 30 of 2021. During yesterday's proceedings, the prosecution presented video evidence of the initial interview with the shooter's parents highlighting their emotional reaction. And we should point out, this is a little hard to hear, but she was initially cooperative, mm-hmm. showed them, was going to show them some pictures of uh, them working with uh, Ethan and that things were okay, they thought, and then it kind of abruptly changed. She shut it down right there, and you can hear her say, do you think we need a lawyer? lawyer? Mm-hmm. And the dad says, I think we can answer questions. Yeah. He, he comes across better than her in these videos. He also came across crushed. Mm-hmm. He was weeping. He was emotionally distraught. She had a harder edge. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And testimony from uh, Detective Sergeant Joe Bryan underscored common parental responses to these types of situations. And you described the defendant's demeanor as atypical. Correct. Okay. And tell us why. Your Honor, I would object as to this witness's opinion when the jury can see what's in the video. Every person in life reacts differently. And it was shut down from there. Yeah. And additionally, we got that amount that... He has seen, as um, the major crimes investigator for the Oakland County Sheriff's Department, many of these cases where a child has done a horrible thing. And the reaction from the parents, according to his testimony, was they ask why. They are emotional. They are. It's still their son. They don't go toward him in any loving way. No, not at all. Uh, Granted, he did something horrible, but that's still your flesh and blood. It was very cold. It, it was, but I don't know what a normal response is because that's not a normal situation. I, well, true. But they looked at him like he's an alien, and yeah. he's kind of huddled in a corner, yeah. and is he's not sending off a vibe that I need a hug. Um, he also, in that interview, refused to answer any more questions. They, they were going to be present for the initial questioning. Yeah. 
And additionally, Oxford High School counselor Sean Hopkins detailed his efforts to intervene prior to the shooting, expressing frustration at the parents' lack of uh, follow-through in addressing their son's uh, behavior. The prosecution also sought to depict Crumbly's apparent prioritization of her horses over her son, with testimony suggesting a strained relationship and minimal positive remarks about him. Kyra Pennock, who boarded uh, Crumbly's horses, testified to receiving concerning messages from Crumbly following the shooting but refrained from alerting authorities. Despite expressions of sympathy, Pennock's actions were driven by a desire for information rather than genuine concern for Crumbly. Testimony Guy continues this morning in Oakland County Circuit Court. Yeah, I, I do think it's a dangerous road to try to forecast or apply your own opinions about what a normal reaction is in that situation. Well, I think we're all doing that. You think you know your child, Mm -hmm. then you're told he just killed four kids, and you walk in and you look at him and he isn't him, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But this notion that she was very calculating, very cold, very strategic in some ways, I would have been, I think most of us would have been, a puddle. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just think it, it's your own flesh and blood and you would just have a different reaction. But that's just putting me in my it, background emotions as a young mom you feel, right now. Unless you feel like you're afraid because he just did something horrible and you're like this, you know, something's wrong and I, I don't want to approach him. Yeah. And, well, and then there's this, this self-defense thing, you know, maybe I will be charged. There was testimony that the... The gun was hidden in an armoire, and the bullets were hidden separately. Under some pants. pants. Under pants. Which is yeah. very secure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think all every uh, firearms instructor would tell you that's a sound right. approach. Good Lord. Um, so we'll, we'll get more testimony. As they left the interrogation room, she turns and kinds of bites back at her son and says, why? Mm-hmm. Understandable. Her husband keeps repeating, we love you, we love you, we love you, yeah. on the way out the door. It just it, The contrast between the two right. was exactly. stark. Right. And I think they showed that video because she was so surprised. I can't believe this happened. I, yeah. I had no idea that you would do something like mm-hmm. this. That's why that video was played. Something. How about something encouraging here? Elon Musk announced yesterday that his Neuralink company has pre- placed a... A Neuralink brain implant into a first patient, which could be the first step in providing a bridge between someone with a spinal cord injury. It did this. This implant is one fifth the size of a human hair, and it picked up uh, what they called um, neuron spike detection. So the neurons were firing in the brain. Mm-hmm. The implant acknowledged that and hopefully someday can then tell legs to move, for instance. Wow. Amazing. It's just the first step, but it's and, and there's a little it's a little Frankenstein-y to some degree. But can you imagine the potential if our brains could interface with a machine and the machine could act as a bridge beyond the damaged parts? And you're talking about bionic. Exactly. I mean, really. I mean, yeah. Kind of like the it six is. million dollar man almost. We you know? can build, rebuild him. Yes. We can make him better. We're going full Jetsons. We're y- going there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yesterday, you know, the saddest day of all, cleaning out the lockers. Locker clean out day over in Allen Park yesterday. Of course, all the reporters huddled around Josh Reynolds because he had those two big drops, one on a third down, one on a fourth down. And kudos to him for talking to the reporters. But he kind of said, you guys, like, I'm going through it right now. 
happens, man. I know what kind of player I am. Um, you know, I didn't want to drop him. Yeah, you know, I mean, shit happens. So just, uh, you know, do I want those back? Oh, of course. Can't. Was uh, he interviewed at a ping pong table? Yeah, they do him. have a ping pong table in that locker room, so <laughs> okay. maybe they were getting one last rounded. Yeah. But um, yeah, so he said, I regret it. He is a free agent. Dan Campbell talked about free agents and who they want to bring in here. It's about rebuilding, reloading for the next year, but he wants a certain kind of player. They got to be a certain way, and there's got to be a certain mindset and a certain identity, and we have that with our core. And we got to add pieces that are like-minded. We got to add more talent, more competition that thinks the same way that group of guys in that locker room does. And and it's non-negotiable if it's not. There's no level of talent that is worth bringing something that doesn't fit what we're about in there. I love that, and I believe he's going to do it. Yeah, culture he, so very important to them. Exactly, defend your culture. But he also said something interesting. You know, it's easy after a Cinderella season like this to fall in love with your Rochester. We can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. No, talking about the players that they know who have been in that locker room this year, they have to make some tough decisions. There is a long list of Detroit Lions free agents, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Romeo Okwara, James Houston, Jalen Rees-Maven, just to name a few, Josh Reynolds. And just because they like them as people and they had a good run this season, they have to look forward to can they produce next season. That's right. And, of course, is Jared Goff going to get paid are they mm-hmm. going to get uh, something around $50 million a year for him? So lots of questions right now um, as they sort of look back on this magical run. More work to do. Yeah, but I liked a lot of the things that were said in, in the wake of what was a horrible collapse mm-hmm. in the second half of that game. Thanks, guys. Um, coming up, we're going to be talking about bridging the digital divide. Today, a critical day in that uh, effort, uh, a deadline of sorts that you need to know about. And we'll uh, tackle that next on JR Morning. We know these past couple of weeks, it's been mighty cold. And uh, I probably told you, Nick Roddy had his furnace go out on him. He instantly did what we've been taught to do. Trust the folks that we have learned can be trusted. And that's CNC Heating and Air Conditioning. He had them called out. They were out the same day, went through that 21-point inspection plan, and got Nick's furnace up and running instantly so a huge thank you to cnc heating and air conditioning you were there for us when we needed you the corian family took care of nick and all of our wjr listeners like they are family and isn't that what you want in a contractor for something as important as your heating and cooling system so when it comes to your furnace don't you want that same level of service well it's easy to get you just call 1-800-MY-FURNACE that's 800-693-87 62 to get the job done right they've been doing it for 75 years at cnc heating and air conditioning and that's why they're one of the most trusted heating and cooling companies and why we now trust them even more you can get installation of a new carrier and heating and cooling system tomorrow you can get it installed tomorrow visit cncheat.com that's cncheat.com carrier turn to the experts I want to draw your attention to something incredibly important happening right now in Detroit. Enrollment for a vital COVID era uh, era program, which has already connected 150,000 low-income Detroiters to high-speed Internet, is set to close on February 7th. That's less than two weeks away. But fear not, because Connect 313, in partnership with the City of Detroit and Rocket and United Way, 
They're on a mission. They've kicked off a digital equity tour to ensure as many residents as possible get signed up before the deadline. And on the JR Morning Live line to talk more with us is Victoria Katansky. She's director of Connect 313. Victoria, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're good this morning. Tell us about this groundbreaking initiative, first of all, and why it's so important to get Detroiters signed up. Absolutely. So the Affordable Connectivity Program is um, scheduled to end for signups on February 7th, and it is an incredibly important program because it provides subsidized access to the Internet um, for people across the country. Um, Detroit, as you mentioned, is leading the way for signups. And um, ACP provides a $30 per month discount on Internet costs. Um, I've covered the Rocket Mortgage Classic a lot, and this is a a big push by them to uh, end the digital divide. Why is it so important? I mean, we don't think about it. It's on our phone. It's on our computer. But you could do your schoolwork. You could get your medical resources, things like that. Tell us why it's so important. Well, I mean, I'm using, you know, my Wi-Fi access right now just to make this call. It's a human right um, at this point. We use it for school, work, finding jobs, at, as you mentioned, accessing health care, um, school work. Um, it's used for everything at this point. And not having access to the Internet is increasing um, poverty among people and um, not allowing them to participate in the world as we now know it. The need is certainly there. I think the awareness is there. Lord knows um, so many folks in the city have been banging this drum that this is an incredible opportunity. Why is it that maybe that we are lacking subscribers here? Are, Are folks just so disconnected they haven't been getting the message? Um, I think that the biggest thing is who is eligible and, you know, it's a 30 per, $30 per month discount. And, uh, you know, that is a lot of money to somebody who's really counting um, the money that they have. You know, we have about 90,000 people who have not, um, who are eligible, who have not signed up for ACP. And, you know, the point now is to make sure that they're ex- that they do get enrolled before February 7th um, because they may miss out if Congress extends the program beyond there. So though it's only two weeks out, um, getting them signed up by that time is crucial to ensure that they have access to this subsidized um, Internet work moving forward. And, uh, Victoria, we know that the, you know, Internet and, and having access is, is very important, but did it really come to a head during uh, COVID? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think we've all, all saw everything kind of came to a halt, especially in um, with students and, um, you know, schoolwork and how things were completed. Um, so it definitely highlighted a large problem that existed for time before that. And that's why we, you know, we now know how important it is to have that access at all times. Um, what do you get when you sign up for this? You get a credit, but you still have to put down some of your own money? So it's actually a subsidi- subsidy. So you'll get a one-time $100 credit um, for a digital device if you don't have one, like a laptop or a tablet. But you will continually get a 30% credit on your Internet costs. Um, however much that is from your provider. 
So what's next, Victoria, um, as, as we try to make continual progress on this? What's the, what's the next step in making sure that we can broaden the horizon uh, for people that are still disconnected? I think it's really important for people to be able to lobby Congress and try to tell them how important it is to um, continue this funding for ACP as it's scheduled now. It's scheduled to end in late April or May. So there only are, you know, there's only about, um, what, three months for people to get the subsidy currently. However, um, if they do sign up by February 7th, the chance of those people being allowed to continue in the program, if it's extended, it's, cru- you know, it's crucial to have them signed up. Um, I think, you know, maybe you might not be the person who, you know, that's listening to this, mm-hmm. may not be the person who needs the, this subsidy and this, this plan, but if you know a neighbor or a friend or a family member that does helping them get access um, is really important at this point. And Victoria, it's a tour going on so people can get more information in their neighborhoods here in Detroit. How do they get that list of where uh, you guys are going to be? So we're publishing it on Connect 313 um, on our website and through our social media. Um, and also it's um, provided, we're doing billboards and different things across the city. The city of Detroit also has this listed. We've been working with community groups throughout the city. So a lot of the local community development groups have um, the locations there. And like I said, we're partnering with the city on their efforts to do this. And um, so I think just, you know, asking your neighbors, your friends, um, looking at some of the community um, action groups and things like that will allow you to know. Primarily, we're going to be at the Northwest Activity Center with the city of Detroit um, and some of the recreation groups around the city um, and focusing on, you know, senior citizens and people who um, traditionally need to be included in this process. Victoria Katansky, director of Connect 313. We appreciate your time this morning and uh, have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. And take use of that uh, absolute rare opportunity. Uh, interesting report today in the Wall Street Journal. We, we all have been following this amazing story of the door plug blowing out of the Alaska Airlines jet. Mm-hmm. And this notion that, well, did someone not tighten the bolts? What on earth happened there? Well, according to an exclusive in this morning's journal, the bolts may not have been there in the first place. Well, they forgot the, the they were bolt. left out at the factory. That when the when during the manufacturing process, when the plug was removed and then put back in, the bolts weren't reinserted. So that you were basically they they didn't hold because they weren't, weren't there. there in the first place. And they said they've reached this conclusion because there should have been markings that when that plug went out. There should have been scrapes and telltale right. markings yep. of of the bolt scraping against something, right? This is scarier than if it were they were in and yeah. fell out. Well, right. exactly, because they said we've they've also gone back to the Renton, Washington factory where the plane was manufactured, and there are paperwork and process lapses indicating that there wasn't the needed follow-up to make sure that the bolts went back where they were supposed to go. So Boeing... This is bad for Boeing. Yeah, yes. left with a lot of very thorny questions there, uh, but just concerning that, hey, it's what Dad always said, shut the door, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and then lock it. We'll be back.
You're on JR Morning. General Motors just released its fourth quarter earnings, and it shows that uh, revenues were up 9.6% on the year, and net income attributable to stockholders was up 1.9%. And they beat their own forecast for 2023, their own outlook. So a lot of that trending in the right direction. Haven't had a chance to really chew over all of these. Uh, we do know that the strike that hit uh, General Motors and the rest of the big three cost them about $1 billion in earnings. I'm going to be digging into this to try to find what the North American profit sharing is here and uh, how that will be affected. But in the meantime, while I'm chewing over that, let's talk a little bit about the future. And that is that imagine, guys, if you're sitting in an autonomous vehicle in the future, that every surface, which is now glass, mm-hmm. could be like an iPad, an interactive display where you can touch it, move data around and maybe do a sales presentation in the inside of an Uber vehicle while you're traveling around with a client. That is the reality with this new display, this interactive glass developed by a local company. Um, they have a Chinese partnership. They are AUO Corporation of America. And I ran into Arun Marhapra, who is the product marketing manager for AUO in Las Vegas at CES, where they were celebrating winning Best of Innovation. And this is all part of Mobility Makers, brought to you by Bridgestone. Getting people down the road matters, but getting generations down them, that's what really matters. Bridgestone. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. And let's learn more about this interactive display. The company is AUO, and it just won kind of the gold. It's like the Oscars for uh, CES, the best of innovation for 2024. Uh, I'm with Arun Mahapatra. It was with AEUO Corporation. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a group project. So. Okay. You basically are presuming with your product a, an autonomous future where the glass on the side of the vehicle internally for the interior compartment, can you can project anything on it, but you're not using a projector. Absolutely. So our uh, Best of Innovation Award was for our dynamic, uh, transparent, interactive window. Um, it uh, unlocks new possibilities. Any glazing surface can now turn into uh, an information display, entertainment hub, uh, anything that uh, a designer can envision. In this case, it's a touch screen that could be used for Zoom meetings, for presentations, uh, or for advertisements if it's a ride share. Absolutely. Advertising is going to become a bigger and bigger part of, uh, of the mobility industry as we get driverless vehicles out there, more and more ride share volume, uh, but also for AR experiences, uh, highlighting things outside the cabin. It's a huge opportunity for OEMs and for us. Is it one film application that fits all, or is it customizable, and how difficult is that? Uh, it's fully customizable, whatever dimensions, shapes, uh, uh, or glazing surfaces that uh, that a designer needs. We can make it happen. We're a strong partner with all of our OEMs in uh, Michigan and beyond to uh, make, their, make whatever they need happen. And you guarantee with every application that the kids will not say, are we there yet? I, I can't guarantee that. Uh, I'm not a parent myself, but I know how challenging that can be. But we'll do our best uh, to anything you can think of to stop that. But that's another application. I mean, it can be an entertainment interactive touchscreen. Absolutely. It's touch capable on the entire surface, entertainment, conferencing, uh, uh, productivity, uh, like I mentioned, AR. Anything that a normal computer can show you, this can be done on a transparent surface. The other thing that you're showing with this model and this, this application in, in your showroom is 
a wood grain with 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 texture, a wood grain touch screen that controls climate and, and and other data. How did you do it? And why did you get an award for that? Well, the uh, it's it's another kind of benefit of micro LEDs and the flexibility that technology enables. Um, when you say micro LEDs, what does that mean? Micro LED is the the next quantum leap for display technology. So everyone knows about OLED. Uh, everyone has seen LCDs and LED TVs in their homes. Micro LED is the next step forward for the entire display industry. But it's more pliable, more flexible. You can even twist it. Yeah, stretchable in three dimensions, rollable, uh, foldable. Anything that you think you can do with a fabric, Micro LED kind of unlocks that potential. So it really unlocks in terms of design of your instrument panel or your uh, or your dashboard. It will apply to anything, which is really opens up the door to some cool designs. Absolutely. Uh, uh, traditionally, in a lot of design challenges for, for screens, for displays, and mobility, you have this flat black box. Maybe you can get a curve in there once in a while, um, but unlocking new ways to show, share information with occupants is kind of the next step forward. And the other beautiful thing is, aesthetically, it will look like a really nice piece of contemporary furniture. You won't even know it's a display. Exactly. So we want to give as much freedom as possible to that strong design community in the OEM world uh, to make sure they get the aesthetics they want, but also as much control that we can give to passengers and occupants uh, in a contextual fashion. That's where we're uh, that's where we're headed, and we think we're in a step forward for it. So the CES judges have given you one heck of an endorsement. How close are you to taking this to market and and to scale? The, the product pipeline for micro LEDs and everything at our booth is already in the works. Um, I can't give the exact date that will be out, but we've had a lot of interest from OEMs, and we're working uh, uh, actively working, and it will be out in a few years, I think. As a business case for your company based in Farmington, where does this leave you? Is, are, is this like the launch pad? So our uh, U.S. office in Farmington uh, is, is getting a lot of interest, obviously being close to our mobility community in Michigan. Our global headquarters in Taiwan is seeing interest all over the world from our European customers, from our Chinese customers, um, and it's it's uh, the next step forward for us. We can't stop evolving. We've been evolving for 25 years and counting as a company, so this is just you know the next day next day for us. And the one thing that we didn't even get into was in the back window, they had it scrolling. So think about this: it was like a, a window shade that you would pull down mm -hmm. and unroll. That's how small this film is, is that what was on back there, you could actually push it up and and then pull it down. So it really kind of, I mean, it's, it's magic in a, in a way. Only yeah. while parked? Um, well, or if you're being, if driven. it's autonomous, oh, so that's right. uh, yeah. that again gets the idea that this is if it's your level four or whatever, mm -hmm. you can do this because the car is going to be driving itself. I did get a chance to jump into the. Um, earnings statement from General Motors, the profit-sharing checks for 45,000 eligible hourly workers, 12250 bucks. That is down 500 bucks from last year, which was the largest payout ever. Uh, they probably could have paid 1000 more, but for oh, the no. earnings impact of the, the strike. strike. Mm -hmm. But st still, 2023, uh, pretty good yeah. to uh, the North American hourly workers uh, for General Motors. with, uh, And they'll pay that probably sometime at the end of February, and that will be a nice little boost nice to the local bonus. economy. That's a nice yeah. bonus. Yeah, and uh, following the United All Workers endorsement guy of uh, President Joe Biden's re-election bid, former President Donald Trump uh, launched a scathing attack on Sean Fain, <laughs> accusing him of jeopardizing the American automobile industry by aligning with China. 
Trump's remarks posted on his social platform, Truth Social, criticized France for supposedly facilitating the shift of car manufacturing to China, citing the rise of electric vehicles as a threat to American jobs. Now, in contrast, Fain defended Biden's track record in preserving manufacturing jobs and condemned Trump's self-serving agenda. The UAW's support for Biden holds significance in key automaking swing states like Wisconsin and here in Michigan. There has been. I mean, uh, Sean Fain at the beginning of talks did articulate the fact that we are worried about these jobs going over to China and the transmission and the engine mm-hmm. jobs that are going to be lost in this transition. Um, but that didn't that that concern did not keep him from withholding his endorsement of Joe Biden. And the question was, and he didn't answer it very well. What changed? Yeah. What assurances did you get from President Biden that you are going to be backstopped and that your rank and file are going to be backstopped during what could be a very painful transition, and he really didn't have an answer for it. And he also knows that just because the UAW as a whole has endorsed uh, President Biden doesn't mean his rank and file are all going to be voting for President Biden. And and that was a really curious statement that day, and I still have not heard an explanation from Mm -hmm. him about whether he misspoke or whether he was just being very direct, saying, no, we we don't anticipate that the majority of them will vote for Joe Biden. Um, that uh, as we saw with union households in 2020, right. there was a significant defection, perhaps as much as 40% nationwide. It's 644 and JR Morning. When we come back, going to be talking with Mike Wilkinson from Bridge, Michigan. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Transparency in the state of Michigan. There's a new law in the books that said if you ask for a multi-million dollar appropriation, you got to put a name on it. Well, they failed to comply. We'll find out what the penalty might be for that or if there's even in a penalty in that legislation next on JR Morning. No bid pork projects. Michigan lawmakers love them. They approved $2 billion in pet project grants in the past two years. And despite approving new transparency rules, lawmakers have still not disclosed which legislator backed each grant as the deadline came and went. Mike Wilkinson is the data reporter for Bridge, Michigan. He did a deep dive on all of this. Good morning, Mike. There we got you. Hi, Mike. Mike, are you there? Good morning. Hey, I'm here. Can you hear me? Of mm-hmm. course. Yes. So okay, good. <laughs> you looked into all of this. First of all, what was the money spent on? Two billion dollars is a lot. Well, it got spent all across the state on projects that you go, oh, great, that's great. And other ones you scratch your head on, you know, private projects developed to develop dilapidated buildings in Muskegon, uh, the Detroit Greenway to kind of build that uh Greenway all the way around the city, uh, you know, the Charles Wright Museum got money in, in the city of Detroit. Um, you've got, you know, pools in the state that got money to re, be restored or rehabilitated. It, it seemed like every many of the legislators had some pet project in their in their community that they thought was worthy of the money. Well, you know, we, we keep hearing I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. And I'm kind of that way now with all these new transparency bills. Oh, no, we really toughened it up this time. So what was the disclosure mandate, and how is it that they can thumb their nose at it? Well, for the longest time, I mean, it, disclosure has been uh, uh, not the best part of all of these grants going back you know, years. Last year, they decided to adopt these new rules that said, okay, we're going to tell everybody who, which legislator wanted the project, you know, do they have a conflict of interest, and they have to say, here's the public purpose. Um, unfortunately, even though the bill passed last summer, um, uh, the deadline to submit all that information was on January 15th, 
Um, and we've asked the state for what's come in so far. There was over 240 projects, and they haven't given us the answer yet. So we might even have to file a Freedom of Information Act to get what should be regular public information. Now, they've also set a second deadline, which is that they will put on a public-facing website all of this information by, wait for it, September 30th, which would be over a year after they approve the money. So if anyone's scratching their head wondering if this lawmaker was scratching the back of a friend, we won't really know if that existed for a year after the money was approved. And so I, it, it, that's better than it was, but, you know, with this huge lag in time, it's, you know, it's transparency well, it's only, and delay. It's only better if they comply. <laughs> well, yeah, and then uh, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it all be better if um, you knew your lawmaker was putting putting the proposal through before it was voted on? Mm-hmm. If every before the money was spent. Yeah, I mean, if you know, oh, wait a minute, doesn't, isn't Bob's cousin uh, the head of that nonprofit? I mean, you know, lawmakers know there are other lawmakers, but they don't know if there is a conflict. So it, it's kind of a deal where they, they all kind of agree that they're all going to behave, and, and then we'll just tell everyone afterwards, you know, what the reason was. And it just – a lot of critics, you know, the MAC Center, and, and you know, I talked to Bob Snyder, former uh, member of the state budget director. I mean, this is not – this is not kind of it's not optimal transparency, and I think that's understating it. Um, and 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 Mike, they missed the the first deadline. The next deadline is not until September 30th. So I mean, they they get almost what 10 months to n- not be transparent even more. Yeah, and a lot of that money is going to move out the door. I mean, and I don't mean in a negative way. I mean, if, if the projects, you know, if they did beat the disclosure on January 15th, um, which again they have not made public to us, and then they start funding these projects, I mean, hundreds of millions could be spent. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, oh, here's, now we know why they, they think this is a good idea. So um, we, we've written about these grants for a while, and I think the average public thinks that when they, you know, yeah. write the check, uh, your income taxes or, you know, the sales taxes, that their money's going to be, you know, prudently spent. And I think this, this kind of raises questions about um, if it is the best use of every dollar. What do you want to bet that when they finally disclose and put a name to it, it's going to be somebody that just conveniently is going to be heading out the door as a term-limited lawmaker <laughs> anyway? <laughs> well, I mean, last time, I mean, uh, when, they, when the Republicans were in control of the legislature in, in 22, um, they did disclose, right? So, uh, but what the person who said it was theirs, who, you know, was always, in many cases, was the appropriations chair. And there was, I talked to Wayne Schmidt, who was uh, the legislator up in Forever City, yeah. and, and he got $2 million for the local curling club, the local curling club, which has, you know, uh, um, 130 members. You know, it's a big sport, apparently. Um, well, he put in the grant. But when it, when it was disclosed, Jim Stamis, the, the approach chair of the Midland, said it was his. So even then, it wasn't a, a full disclosure. So this might be better, but we still don't know because uh, they've not told us. And it's kind of bipartisan because the Republicans do it, the Democrats do it. And you have this graph on Bridge, Michigan, growing piles of pork. And it's sort of just it, it's expounded so much. Where's all this money coming from? You know, the state, like many states, got just uh, tons of money from from the federal government. You know, going back to you know the last year of the Trump presidency, but you know mostly from the Biden presidency to deal with the pandemic. There was just so much money that was spent, um, and it was all the the good thing about this money is it's one time spending. They can't give these grants and, and try to you know run an operation for years. It's going to be just to fix a road, to help a museum or a park. But um, there was so much money in in the pot, and 
I said $2 billion. I mean, there are some who I was kind of focusing on the lawmaker grants. There's, you know, last year, probably another 300 million in one-time spending where they were kind of picking and choosing education projects and others. So um, they say it's going to go down this year. Um, I mean, it kind of has to because that most of that money has been pushed out the door. Um, well, or I should say, uh, at least uh, there's, they say where they're going to push it out the door. So, and if they if they use some of this money to build, uh, let's say a, a museum or build a a, a uh, something for the kids, a rec center or something like that, that's one time money. But still, that municipality still has to keep it up and running. And will they have the money to continue to do it? Well, I mean, you would hope. I mean, I talked to Christian Grant, uh, a Democratic lawmaker in Grand Rapids, you know, and and. You know, so there's not formal disclosure, but she, she'll raise her hand and tell you, oh, I got this in, I got that in. And one of the things she talks about is she got money for two new fire stations in Grand Rapids in her part of the district that had the lowest response times. Um, they weren't there. One was uh, So you would presume that the Grand Rapids Fire Department worked with her and said, yes, we, we want to serve that area better. Um, and we will. And, it, and the money also approves new equipment for those fire stations. So the operations, I mean, is it just removing, you know, mm-hmm. rejiggering which firefighters there? I don't know. But that is a good point. I, I think for a lot of these places, you know, the Wright Museum, I, I'm sure, is, you know, gonna, already has a plan for how to spend their money uh, and other places. But, you know, that, that's that been a criticism before, right, going back into the Clinton era, all the money for, for um, additional cops. And then we're police departments saying, and I have to keep those on and have uh, continuing costs. So it, it, it's always a, a great question about it says one time, but are you basically baking in right. long-term spending? Uh, no doubt there are legitimate projects out there, but voters have the right to know. Mike Wilkinson, data reporter for Bridge, Michigan, thank you so much for your work. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, sometimes the computer crashes, and we all know uh, what that's about. So good morning. Welcome to JR Morning. Jamie Edmonds, Lloyd Jackson, Guy Gordon, getting you set for your Tuesday, January 30th. Where did January go? I know. My goodness. We're good. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're so over you. Yeah. Um, welcome to uh, this Tuesday where if you are an eligible UAW rank and file member, 45,000 are, uh, you will be getting a $12,250 profit sharing check from General Motors. That's General nice Motors. Check. Yeah. Announcing their uh, fourth quarter earnings uh, just uh, 30 minutes ago. Uh, they will be having a formal news conference uh, at 830 uh, to also give us their look ahead for 2024. Uh, but the bottom line is it was about $500 less than last year, but uh, and also $1,000 less than it would have otherwise been but for the strike against the automakers. So it did come uh, somewhat costly for automakers, but they did get profit sharing extended the temporary workers, and that was a significant gain in the New Deal. Meantime, for those that were falsely accused of unemployment fraud, Lloyd, there may finally be a reconciliation. Yeah, after eight years, a class action lawsuit against Michigan's unemployment agency is reaching its conclusion following a $20 million settlement approved by a judge. Judge Doug Shapiro gave final approval to the multi-million dollar settlement yesterday afternoon. The lawsuit arose from claims of people being wrongly accused of unemployment fraud due to the agency's automated system, Midas, operating without human intervention. 
Attorneys representing class members received nearly 10,000 submissions through a dedicated website. Now, between October 1st of 2013 and March 9th of 2015, thousands were flagged for potential fraud by Midas, leading to wage garnishments, a tax return seizure. Ultimately, 3,200 individuals qualified for the suit with estimated financial losses totaling over $5 million. Each qualifying member will be fully reimbursed for previous state seizures, and they'll also share $3 million from the settlement. Some may receive additional hardship awards. Now, attorney fees amount to about $6.6 million. Attorney Jennifer Lord hailed the settlement as groundbreaking, ensuring each eligible member receives over 100% of their seized funds. State of Michigan did not contest the settlement. Nor should nor should it. That The Midas system, I mean, you it remember was, King Midas? Yeah. You know, he could turn things into gold. The Midas, this Midas touch? System, yeah. This Midas touch turns everything into you-know-what. Yeah, it touched you <laughs> all right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just the it's King Midas in reverse. Um, sad day for the Lions yesterday, as you know that some of those guys aren't going to be coming back. A lot of guys going free agent, and, and anytime you clean out your locker a game too early, it's a sad day. Well, it was later than usual, so uh, the run was fun. But, yeah, it it was kind of a a bummer over in Allen Park. The players returned to clean out their lockers. As Guy suggested, the Lion free agent list is long. Just some notable names, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Romeo Okwara, James Houston, Jalen Reeves-Mabin, Will Harris, just to name a few. Uh, Josh Reynolds, one of the guys who was Mr. Reliable all season long, of course, we remember the couple drops in the last game, and he talked about it. it happens, man. I know what kind of player I am. Uh, you know, I didn't want to drop him. Yeah, I mean, shit happens. So just, uh, he, you know, do I want those back? Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I can't. He obviously would like to have those back, and yes, they play ping pong in the Lions locker room. Um, Dan Campbell also spoke to the media. He had a lot of things to say. Basically, when they evaluate the people that were on this team, who they bring back, it won't just be a popularity contest or if they just like them. They have to produce in the season coming up because things will get harder to get back to that same NFC championship And talking about bringing new people in and who they will draft when the draft comes to Detroit. He has some thoughts. they got to be a certain way, and there's got to be a certain mindset and a certain identity, and we have that with our core. And we got to add pieces that are like-minded. we got to add more talent, more competition that thinks the same way that group of guys in that locker room does. And and it's non-negotiable if it's not. There's no level of talent that is worth bringing something that doesn't fit what we're about in there. Big culture guy, and he is going to bring the right people in, you would hope. Two huge things there. First of all, sentimentality is not going to get in the way of us making a good decision, mm-hmm. right. which, is, which is key. And secondly, you're right, putting culture first. We could, we could bring in a problematic star with an attitude, um, but it, it's not, if, it's, it's going to, if it's going to hurt the locker room, but on paper improve the team, we're not going to go there. That cost is too high. Exactly. And Brad Holmes is going to address the media on Wednesday, so we'll see what his plans are moving forward. And one of those is probably a contract for Jared Goff, which is going to be in the $50 million range a year. Which he deserves. And, and let me tell you, you know, it, it's going to um, be a, a, another great season, I think, next year. And, you know, when you hear from coaches who say, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is, you know, you say, okay. But with Dan Campbell, you just you believe know it. 
That's what it yeah. means. And they want to do it. Same thing with Brad Holmes. Yeah. There was a moment on your newscast yesterday, which is, you know, when I'm still hurting, still frustrated, still a little ticked off. Um, they were talking about what this season meant to Lions fans. Mm-hmm. And there was one that just made big Adam's apple on me. And it was a guy saying, hey, I got to take my dad to a playoff game. Oh, my gosh. And, and it was a father and son together, big grins. And you're going, okay you've got that memory for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. If we didn't make it all the way, that's okay. And it was a, it was an interesting moment and helped me put my stuff into perspective. People right? are going through the, the morning phase in different ways. Some people yeah. are happy for the journey. I got some emails saying, don't be an apologist. He shouldn't have gone for it on fourth down. <laughs> right? So we're all going through Everybody it. Right? That's okay, it. too. That's but okay. it was a magical run, and they're cleaning out their locker later than ever. Here's to hope, and it's one more couple more games after that next year. Yeah. We told you yesterday that uh, former President Donald Trump had recognized Pete Hoekstra as the new chairman of the state Republican Party after this infighting between uh, competing factions within the GOP, all of them MAGA faction, all of them pro-Trump, but those with deep concerns over Christina Caramo's leadership, especially the finances of the party. Well, uh, she talked with Chris Renwick yesterday on JR Afternoon and said... I am still the rightful chair. The process has not been followed. And even though the RNC says she was removed legally, even though the former president, who is the titular head of the party, says, I'm recognizing Pete Hoekstra, she says, I'm not leaving. You know, the RNC unfortunately decided to unilaterally uh, on their website vacate the chair seat. Um, but we just had um, some updates that I won't discuss right now. Our legal team is preparing a public response for it. But the reality is I'm still legally the chair. And unfortunately, you know, we love President Trump, but he's been getting poor information um, from some individuals, unfortunately, because I'm still the chair. There has been no change. And ultimately, the state committee is the only one who has the authority to remove me as chair. And that has not occurred. And she's not alone in that. Six uh, state committee members that the Detroit News reached out to all said this does not change their minds. The fact that Trump has endorsed Pete Hoekstra. They say he's getting third hand or fourth hand information that he doesn't know what he's doing and that he's been misled he can mistake make mistakes too said one antrim county official um president not trump, giving up president nope. trump isn't inclined to uh, acknowledge uh, those mistakes when he does make them uh but and and i'm sure he thinks that it's time to move on uh, we'll see where that shakes out but uh, some denial on the part of the former perhaps maybe current head <laughs> of the state chair <laughs> who knows of the republican party Hey, Fountain Blue Las Vegas is the newest luxury resort and casino on the Strip, and we want to send you there for the big game weekend. You can score a trip for two to Las Vegas, including airfare, a two-night stay at the Fountain Blue, $150 credit to spend at one of the 36 restaurants and bars there, two tickets to the Fountain Blue Las Vegas big game viewing party at Blow Live Theater. But you need the phrase that pays here. This is our national keyword for the hour, and the word is TRIP, T-R-I-P. Text that word to 95819, TRIP to 95819, and you will be enrolled and eligible to win this great trip to Las Vegas. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be talking with Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin about the bipartisan border deal that we're still awaiting from the Senate Uh, her concerns about that, and also how the Biden administration could respond to uh, the Houthi attacks that killed three of our troops in Jordan. 
now. Time for WJR's Business Speed. Let's check in with Jeff Sloan, brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Here's the CEO and founder of Startup Nation. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Jamie, and Lloyd. Marketing trends come and go, but one that appears now here to stay is influencer marketing. Of course, this is essentially a marketing strategy based on tapping social media users who have amassed an audience of followers that they can now influence. And using that influence, they endorse a product or service, and that can lead to sales. And companies pay influencers to do just that for them. Influencers generally get a cut of the sales they drive on behalf of their customer, that being the company they're representing to make the sale. But like all marketing tactics, in order to win, you must execute. And doing that starts with picking the right influencers and the right channels. According to a new report from Aspire, brands will be focusing their spend in 2024 on influencer marketing heavily on Instagram and TikTok, while Snapchat and X, of course, formerly Twitter, are largely being ignored as an effective channel for their influencer marketing campaigns. The survey shows that some 9 in 10 marketers identify Instagram and TikTok as being the top channel. So if you're thinking of launching or expanding your influencer marketing campaigns, Look to TikTok and Instagram as platforms that most feel are the most effective at driving results. One bonus tip, the survey also indicates that while many believe the more followers an influencer has, the more success you're likely to have with your influencer campaigns. But this and other studies like it make clear that creators with smaller followers actually have stronger connection with their audience and therefore do better at selling products they represent. Aspire's data shows that nano-influencers with less than 10,000 followers sport the highest average rate of engagement across social platforms tracked. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. We are awaiting the details of this bipartisan border security deal that has been hashed out between Senate leadership in both the Republican and the Democrat parties. And uh, to find out how strict it will be or perhaps how permissive there are things leaking out, suggesting that maybe 5,000 migrants a day would be allowed to stay while their claims are being processed. Republicans say that's against the law. Why aren't we enforcing the law? Uh, watching all of this with deep concerns about what's not only happening at the southern border, but our northern border as well, is Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who uh, joins us live this morning as she represents Michigan's 7th District and hopes to represent us in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Alyssa Slotkin, good morning. Good morning, Guy. How you doing? Very good, thank you. You know, the president says he needs this legislation in order to be able to to enforce uh, and make our border stronger, and yet he had 64 separate executive actions about coming into office. Why that rescinded a lot of the Trump-era immigration policies? Why can't he just reinstitute them? Why does he need Congress? You know, it's interesting. I've never seen an issue that's more politicized than the issue of immigration on all on all sides of it. And I think I think the bottom line is everyone knows that our immigration system is not working, right? I was just at the northern border. I was just in Windsor or at the Windsor Tunnel and, and Bridge. Um, and, you know, getting a tour from our northern border officials and just to see what, like, a normal, healthy, functional border looks like. Um, and no one can say that our southern border looks like a healthy border. I mean, it's the opposite of what's going on at the northern border. Um, there is a deal on the table right now, and to be honest, I mean, under whether it's under 
Bush or Obama or Trump or Biden, we have not had a healthy southern border. So the deal is trying to give uh, a couple of more powers to the president, powers that neither Trump nor Biden have, which is to shut down the border for anything other than a health emergency, like for COVID. They could do it during COVID, but not after, not before. Trump couldn't do it. Biden couldn't do it. It's also to, to limit the people coming over that border. It's just way too crowded. It's way too difficult um, for folks, you know, the Customs and Border folks handling that situation. But it's also to say, you know, you got to have a legal pathway to come and work in the United States. Every employer I know, every farmer I know is looking for legal vetted labor. And the reason they're walking over the border is because there's not a fast legal way to come over here and be, you know, an economic migrant like my grandparents were. So uh, that's what's on the table right now, limiting how many come through, making sure that they have legal right to work if they do get through. Um, and then giving the power to the president, which Trump asked for, too, to be able to shut down the, the border when there are these surges. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, you know, we know there is an issue at the border. It's been an issue and everybody says they're working on it. But is it has it been just more politics over policy that, you know, just just keep it going so we can run on this during the election. And we don't really want to solve it. We don't want to give, uh, you know, the president a, a win on this. We want to keep this open. I mean, uh, how how much further do we have to, you know, go with this? How much more fentanyl has to come in? How much more, you know, um, uh, drugs have to come into the United States that we don't get this border situation taken care of and keep it out of I, politics? I, I think you're 100 percent right. And the, the, the sort of battle rhythm on this, the way this went was in the fall, we heard from my Republican colleagues very strongly. The border is a crisis. The border is a national security threat. We need to include border negotiations if we're going to talk about more aid to Ukraine or Israel or anywhere else. So negotiations started and in the Senate. And I have to tell you, I mean, they were negotiations in good faith from all I could tell. I wasn't in the room. Um, Democrats and Republicans doing what we actually pay them to do, which is sit in a room and hash out a compromise. And any an adult knows that a compromise is not perfect. So they were working on that in the winter through January. We keep hearing these like, you know, reports that they're getting closer. And then all of a sudden things change. And the pre former President Trump said, nope, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal. We need a perfect deal. Don't do anything. And suddenly my colleagues in the, in the House, the speaker who was desperately wanting to talk about the border, now refuses to talk about the border. And I know that a compromise isn't going to be perfect. No one's going to love it. But you got to do something. And we all know that. So I'm hoping there's still a path and that there's bravery, like we're seeing from Republican uh, Senator Lankford, like the guy's being attacked for negotiating a real deal. Um, and I just I think that's what he's supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be doing. And I support him for it. Congresswoman, do you think they are swayed by President Trump getting into the mix and saying this is a bad deal um, and, and this whole impeachment process with Secretary Mayorkas? I 100 percent. I mean, I think I think just the fact I mean, I'm in the House of Representatives. The Speaker of the House was like, we must I will not consider any bill unless it has the border in it. And then all of a sudden the president comes, former president comes in and says, I don't want a deal. And everybody starts to fold and go the other way. I think they're deeply influenced by this being an election year, by the fact that we're going to have a, another rematch of Biden, Trump and people feeling like, you know, uh, they don't want to cross him. And and uh, this is why I give this Senator Lankford, you know, uh, we don't agree on much, but the guy's trying to do the right thing and, and he's being attacked yeah. for it. So 
um, of course it's influenced by national politics. Our existing laws say illegal aliens that cross illegally must be detained until their proceedings are concluded. And and if under this bill, and what's leaking out, we don't know what's true and what isn't, but if under this bill it would still allow 5,000 of those migrants to stay in this country illegally, it would give them that amnesty or that grace, 5,000 a day is 1.8 million a year. Would that be acceptable to you? Because that seems like a very big compromise. Yeah, so let's let's just get the sort of review the bidding here. If someone is trying to come illegally in the United States, they shouldn't get to come to the United States. Right, Imagine but they are, correct? Under under the, uh, the capture and release that we have now? Actually, actually the so so uh, yes, some are but the vast majority of what we're dealing with, the millions that are coming into the country, are coming through normal ports of entry. Imagine the tunnel or the bridge uh, in Detroit and Windsor. They're coming, they're declaring asylum, and they're, co- and they're getting to come in and waiting for their asylum hearing, which can take years. Waiting for their work authorization, which can take years. We're seeing that now even in Michigan, right? People showing up here. I was uh, at Freedom House downtown, a place that that receive some of these folks. They mm-hmm. don't have the legal right to work. So, But the ma- vast majority of the problem is actually from normal ports of entry, like they're declaring themselves. But we also so have Remain in Mexico. What's wrong with that? Uh, uh, nothing's wrong with it. I just think like the, our, uh, the southern border, ideally, in a perfect world, would look like the northern border. You don't have millions of people walking there from across Canada to try to get in and declaring asylum when they hit uh, Detroit. Understood. You have people getting there. But we do. So, I mean, in the interim, we why do, not just we... restore remain in Mexico? That's within President Biden's ability. Yeah. I mean, I've been open about that and that he should use every authority he can to stop that number from coming over every single day. And you keep citing 5,000. I haven't seen that that's the official number, that would obviously yeah, be very high. You're right. And this that would be very high. Some of this could be demagoguery and fear-mongering. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't know how who the honest brokers are any, right, anymore. Right, like it might just and be I, false I, reports. Yeah, yeah, I like you. I trust Senator Langford, and I hope that he has everybody's best interests at heart here. Um, in the meantime, we appreciate your work. Um, I'm, I've got to go over to ask you one quick question. The Biden administration mm-hmm. must respond to this attack on our people in Jordan. 159 attacks. The responses against the proxies have not deterred them. What will? What do you want to see? Yeah, I actually heard it's 168 attacks on U.S. forces across the Middle East since basically October 7th. Um, uh, look, the the Iranians don't fight us face to face. They fight us through proxies, and we have to reestablish deterrence. That means you have to strike back like we did in Yemen and in a couple places in Iraq and Syria, but that hasn't deterred them. In fact, they've gotten more brazen and more bold. So right now in the Situation Room, there's a bunch of options being looked at, I'm sure. I'm not in those rooms. And they're going to be small, medium, and large. And large is, is going to be you know, potentially looking at things like drone factories inside Iran, right, where they make these armed drones and export them. Um, smaller is, you know, a, just a small retaliatory thing in Syria or, or Iraq. To me, though, you got to reestablish deterrence. This is not going in the right direction. Um, and but if you're the president, you're also pushing back on this idea that we could get into another war in the Middle East, another forever war, which I don't think most Americans want. So there, there, that to me is what the conversation should be. 
But look, I, I worked on Iranian back militias in my three tours in Iraq. That's what in my specialty is. You got to punch them in the mouth in order for them to stop. That's how this goes. And we obviously haven't punched them hard enough. Alyssa Slotkin, thanks for your time. Thank you. Have a good one. Michigan State Police Troopers have hit the road with a new mission, cracking down on drivers misusing the recently implemented carpool lanes on I-75. These HOV, or High Occupancy Vehicle Lanes, stretch from 12 Mile Road to South Boulevard in Oakland County. They've been open since October. However, enforcement was delayed as the necessary administrative processes were finalized. Well, that wait is over. And joining us on the JR Morning Live line is Michigan State Police First Lieutenant Mike Shaw. Lieutenant Shaw, welcome back to JR Morning. Well, thanks for having me. Let let our listeners know exactly what constitutes improper use of these lanes. So basically, these lanes is going to be the far left lane is going to be from they're basically from 12 Mile to South Boulevard on I-75. And basically what these lanes say is that you have to have two or more people driving in your vehicle to use these lanes during certain hours. And those hours are six to nine and then three to six Monday through Friday. Other than that, you know, the lanes free to use by everyone. But during those hours, um, those lanes are restricted to vehicles that have more than one occupant in those cars or trucks. I heard someone say human occupant. Your dog doesn't count? Your dog doesn't count. Uh, mannequins doesn't count. <laughs> uh, anything else that you may think that would be kind of cool. My multiple uh, personalities count. don't count. Multiple That's all one guy. doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> all those things. And, and basically what this does is um, they've gone through and they've looked at these lanes and supposedly they, they reduce congestion and things like that. So, um, you know, just plan ahead. If, if these lanes really, really upset you, find a buddy to drive to work with and you'll be fine. How will you enforce it if there's a single oh, it's pretty rider? Easy, yeah. yeah, it's pretty simple uh, as we're driving down there. And again, you know, the HOV police are not going to be out there. Uh, we, we have a lot going on and our main you know, goal is traffic safety. So if we're out there doing traffic enforcement, uh, looking for other things and you happen to zoom by a trooper, which happens more often than you think, and uh they happen to look over there and you're in the high occupancy lane during one of those time frames and you're the only one in the vehicle, uh, you have a good chance of getting pulled over and having a discussion with uh, that trooper. As, as you pull people over, um, I, is, is this one of those things that you'll be looking for it or will, will it be something else involved? Will, it be, will this be a primary or will you be looking for something other infraction? And will you be delivering warnings or tickets? So anything that goes there, and, and this is just like any other traffic law, right? About 85% of it is by compliance. Most 85% of the people that drive on the road are, are going to do what the law asks, be it speeding, HOV lanes, hands-free law, all that kind of stuff. Then you got about another 10% that are going to look for the cop, and if they don't see one, then they're going to try to test it a little bit. And then you add that last 5% that just don't like life and they're going to protest everything possible out there and they're just going to do whatever they want. So uh, for us, this is primary enforcement. So uh, just driving in the HOV lane is enough to get you pulled over. And then it's up to that trooper. And I always tell people when I work the road, um, if I pull you over and we have a conversation about something and it's cordial and, you know, there's no uh, – trying to deny things that, you know, I obviously saw, more than likely I was 
not a big ticket writer, I, I would give you a warning for that. Don't do it again. You know, if there's something that where you just protested so much that you didn't do whatever it is, then I got to write it down for you so you understand exactly what was going on. So that's kind of how I look at it. And most troopers and officers are the same way. What are the penalties, uh, Lieutenant Shaw? So that's up to the court system. Um, there's certain penalties that are written into the law, and then you add costs and fines and things like that. So depending on what court you end up uh, in that stretch depends on what the fine could be. So the best way to go about it is just drive in the lane when you're supposed to and don't drive in the lane when you're not, and you won't have to worry about the cost of that fine. Does your baby count? Is that a high-occupancy vehicle? <laughs> <laughs> yes, your baby counts in a car seat. Oh. oh, there you go. That's it. And it's been about six months, Lieutenant Shaw, uh, since the hands-free law. How is that going? And are you still, you know, seeing that you have to pull people over because they're on have their phones in their hands? Uh, yes. So that one's going to be is proving a little tougher for drivers out there. I mean, let's face it, we depend on our phones for everything. Uh, so just because you get in a vehicle, uh, some people are so addicted to them phones that they're not going to be able to to stop themselves if it bings or rings or something like that. Um, so we're still seeing people. And again, you know, it's about the same percentage of people, 85, mm-hmm. you know, then you'll get the few that um, will kind of try to sneak it to where they're hoping that they, uh, you know, the police officers don't see it out there. And then 5% that just firmly believe that they can do whatever they want. And they're just going to continue to do so. Um, so, we're, we're still seeing people on there and, you know, you don't have to be a cop to, to see it. I'm sure all three of you coming into work or going home today will see somebody on their phone. Uh, I saw a reporter today uh, post on, uh, on X about uh, us enforcing the HOV lane while using his phone to record the HOV lane. So, um, <laughs> oh, perfect. Unfor- <laughs> Double whammy. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, you know, um, there, there are still some folks out there that uh, are still having trouble with it. And, and let's face it again, it's not even about the ticket or anything like that. Um, that distracted driving is killing people on our roadways. And we're seeing increase in traffic crashes and we're seeing increases in fatal accidents out there. We just want people to, you know, put the phone down. If you know that you have trouble with that certain application, put it in your glove box, throw it in the trunk, uh, Whatever's going on can wait to get to your destination. Well, and some of those being, being people being killed are Michigan State troopers. We know we lost um, Joel uh, Pop uh, last week. There, I have been scammers out there calling people in their home saying, "Hey, uh, we're raising money for Trooper Pop's family. Please give to us. It's a scam." So, how do we assist this family? I know there is the Michigan State Troopers Assistance. Fund, which is legit. It's a 501c3. How do we give to it, Mike? Yep. So basically what you can do is you can go michigan.gov forward slash Joel Pop, and that will have everything about uh, from the press release from the very beginning uh, to the address for M staff that you can send it to, um, to the funeral arrangements, the visitation, everything about um, this trooper service uh, is on that website. And that's what I recommend to everyone um, there are some GoFundMe accounts that are legitimate, um, but I always tell people it's it's always hard to tell, right? I mean, unfortunately, there are people out there that are going to take advantage of everybody. But if you want to know for sure that that money is going to his family, uh, you want to go to that website, uh, look for M staff, uh, give that donation right there, and, and I can guarantee you that money is going to go right to his family. 
And if a trooper is on the side of the road helping someone, move over a lane. That's the law, right? It, it is. And, and, you know, it's always been hard for people um, to to really realize how fast that traffic is going and how dangerous it is out there. Uh, and we have a job to do. And it's not just us. You know, it's EMS workers, construction workers, uh, tow truck drivers that are out there. And even the, the guy or gal that's out there changing their tire on the side of the road. If you see somebody doing that, just slow down and move over. It, it, it's not a race. We're, we're not, you know, my dad used to tell me, hey, work's going to be there before before you were born. It's going to be there while you're working there, and it's going to be long after you're dead. So don't, uh, no need to rush to get anywhere. Just take your time, and, and you'll be okay. Michigan State Police First Lieutenant Mike Shaw, always a pleasure to have you on JR Morning. Thank you so much. Thanks. And coming up, uh, we'll be talking more about the Jennifer Crumbly case in Oakland County Circuit Court that picks up with uh, day four today. We'll be speaking with Kara Berg. She's a court reporter for the Detroit News at 749 on JR Morning. Fountain Blue Las Vegas is the newest luxury resort and casino on the Las Vegas Strip. And we want to send you there for the big game weekend. You score a trip for two to Las Vegas, including airfare, a two-night state, Fountain Blue Las Vegas, $150 credit to spend at one of its 36 restaurants and bars, and two tickets to Fountain Blue Las Vegas Big Game Viewing Party at Blue Live Theater. To enter, text this hour's national keyword TRIP to 95819. That's TRIP to 95819. Uh-huh. <laughs> Blue. I don't say it like that when I do the read. He goes, Fountain Blue. Fountain Blue. Anyway, it seems cool, however you say it. Yeah, it sounds like a great trip. So, text trip to 95819. All right, let's talk about day four uh, trial for the mother of the Oxford High School shooter, Jennifer Crumbly, facing four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Yesterday was absolutely riveting as the prosecution continues to bring up witnesses, and we see sort of behind the scenes of what happened after the shooting. Kara Berg, courts reporter for the Detroit News, joins us now. You have your finger on the pulse. You're watching all of it. Sort of what are your takeaways from yesterday? Uh, I think the big thing from yesterday was being able to see the interview video at the substation after the shooting. That was something we hadn't seen before. So we got to see James and Jennifer's initial reaction to learning that their son had committed this shooting. Uh, And we got to see them talk to Ethan for the first time uh, after the shooting. And Ethan tells them to take care of his cat. Um, and Jennifer mm. asks why. And James tells them, tells him that he loves him. Help me with this. The, the picture that we saw in the, in the video is that, I mean, there's this intense conversation going on. James Crumbly is crying. He is trying to explain to uh, investigators that everything was normal the night before and they can't understand how this happened. Meantime, Jennifer Crumbly is scrolling on her phone. She looks detached. Disinterested. She looks indifferent. She claims she was actually trying to be helpful. Help me with that. Because that picture looks so damning and and, um, just tone deaf. Police had asked her for a photo, and her attorney said that she was scrolling and looking for that photo. Um, it was, of, I believe, of the gun or something that Ethan had done um, sometime in the past week. Uh, but she was, I know she was looking for his phone number. She was looking for the text that they had, uh, that she had sent and that Ethan had sent her that day. 
and just anything that she would be able to share with them. Um, that's according to her attorney as to what she was doing. And then while she's doing this, all of a sudden she just abruptly says, you know what, I think we need an attorney or something like that. Do we know what caused the change in the mood in that room? Uh, we don't know. No, I just know she asked for an attorney um, once initially in the interview. or She said initially, do you think we need an attorney? And then later on she said, um, we're not going to answer any more questions. I think we need an attorney. And that was for Ethan as well. Kara, the uh, testimony from the counselor as well, the Oxford High School counselor, Sean Hopkins, who said, you know, when they – when he met with the parents uh, the day of the shooting that, you know, the plan was, you know, for the parents to take him and, and get him some help and seek some help from a therapist or, or, or something. And, and Jennifer said that she couldn't do it that day because they had to go back to work. Yes. She did say that they have to go back to work and they couldn't take him home. Uh, Sean Hopkins did say that he didn't ask them or require them to take their son home and that Ethan had requested to stay in school. But, yes, they did say they would not be able to take him home because of work. Um, I, I heard some reporting that this therapist had said if the parents didn't do anything, he was going to call Child Protective Services, and he just, I guess, was a little late in doing so. And it, it's all these steps that may have prevented, prevented this tragedy is so heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it really is very heartbreaking. And, Kara, we should point out one of the things that I found startling here is that Sean Hopkins admitted that had he interpreted Ethan's artwork differently, he might have been more alarmed because we know he didn't tell the principal about what was going on. That would have triggered a threat assessment. Instead, he was only worried about Ethan harming himself based upon his interpretation of the artwork. It might not, not have been related to the involuntary manslaughter charge, but he did give us a, in, into a window as to why he didn't ring a louder bell. Yeah, and that's definitely interesting because Sean Hopkins is one of the few people who didn't speak to the guidepost investigators. So we didn't get that point of view in that external report of how the district handled Ethan. Yeah, he said, if that I had seen more bodies in the artwork, then I might have thought about this differently. Yeah. Uh, what do you expect from today in day four as prosecutors continue to call witnesses? Uh, I know one of the big witnesses today is going to be an officer who uh, took photos or did executed the search warrant on the Crumley House after the shooting. Um, prosecutors in defense ended yesterday arguing about 55 photos um, that defense did not want shown to the jury that prosecutors did. So that's how today's going to start. They are going in front of the judge to talk about these photos, um, and then that officer will likely take the stand once they can figure that out. Let's not forget why we're all here. Hannah St. Juliana, Tate Meir, Madison Baldwin, Justin Schilling. These young people lost their lives, and um, it's just so heartbreaking. So let's remember the victims as we continue to watch this trial. Kara Berg, courts reporter for the Detroit News, thank you for your insight. Thank you. We should point out there was also testimony yesterday about where the gun was, that they thought it was secured, but their idea of securing it was to put it in an armoire, right. which apparently wasn't locked, and then to hide the ammo underneath some pants. And that certainly yeah. will come out when it comes to sort of if the parents had done enough leading up to this shooting. Right, right. what a reasonable parent would mm -hmm. have and should have done.
Coming up next, uh, we'll talk about today's topics next on JR Morning. General Motors will be meeting with the media in about 25 minutes to talk about uh, the fourth quarter where they saw their pre-tax profits plummet 54%, uh, saw, I should say, uh, and and the the revenues uh, were kind of flat for the fourth quarter, all of it due towards the the strike that hit them. Cost them about $900 million, $1.1 billion overall, but for the most part. Uh, it was a pretty good profit picture, and a profit picture that will put $12,250 into the pocket of every eligible UAW employee that gets profit sharing, uh, which amounts to about 45,000 people. So that will be a nice little bump towards many yes. local economies in this area towards the end of February. It was down about $500 from last year, would have been $1,000 higher, but for mm. the strike. Um, so uh, the outlook ahead, uh, Mary Barra, in a letter to shareholders, said in our EV business, we expect our portfolio will become variable profit positive in the second half of the year. And she said at Cruise, which is their self-driving unit, we're committed to earning back the trust of regulators after what the internal uh, investigations have said was basically they stonewalled mm-hmm. and were tone deaf and uh, treated the regulators poorly as they investigated some problems with those self-driving cars that had problems out on the West Coast. Meantime, um, those that were charged with being uh, fraud artists, Michiganders who were just trying to get jobless benefits and were erroneously charged with fraud, they may finally get some compensation. Yeah, after eight years, this class action lawsuit against Michigan's unemployment agency is reaching a conclusion following a $20 million settlement approved by a judge. Judge Doug Shapiro gave final approval to the multi-million dollar settlement yesterday afternoon. The lawsuit arose from claims of people being wrongly accused of unemployment fraud due to the agency's automated system, Midas, operating without human intervention. Attorneys representing class members received nearly 10,000 submissions through a dedicated website. Now, between October 1 of 2013 and March 9th of 2015, thousands were flagged for potentially fraud by Midas, leading to wage garnishments and tax return seizures, ultimately About 3,200 individuals qualified for the suit, which estimated financial losses totaling over $5 million. Now, each qualifying member will be fully reimbursed for previous state seizures, and they'll also share a $3 million settlement from the case. Some may receive additional hardship awards. And attorney fees, they amount to about $6.6 million. And attorney Jennifer Lord hailed the settlement as groundbreaking, ensuring each eligible member receives over 100% of their seized funds to the state of Michigan. Well, they did not contest the settlement. It just boggles the mind that it has taken 10 years for them to resolve that. I had friends that said, you know, I've obeyed the law my entire life. I lost my job. I applied for benefits and it's led to years of heartache as I try to tax return. uh, My my paycheck was garnished, you know. Mm. If you want to do something nice today, it is as simple as going to michigan.gov forward slash Joel Pop, J-O-E-L-P-O-P-P. You'll be directed to the remembrance page for the trooper that was killed last week, and you can make a donation on behalf of the Michigan State Troopers Assistance Fund. Had a nice conversation with Mike Shaw, the lieutenant from MSP, who uh, reminds us that that's the safest way to give. There's a lot of scammers out there right now. 
Um, but that's a great way to give. He leaves behind a small child, uh, a wife, just you know, 39 too, years old. I'm hearing too many of these types of yeah. accidents. It's and, very easy to prevent. You is. just get over and give as much room as possible to people on the side of the road, whether they're troopers, whether they're someone changing a tire. Right. It's someone's husband, wife. Right. Family. Family. Yeah. And uh, so that's a great way to maybe make you feel a little bit better in this dreary day that you can at least do something positive for this trooper that made a pretty big sacrifice uh, to keep us safe. And by the way, stay out of the HOV lanes because they're going to be watching you today. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Six to nine, you've got 50 minutes where you can't use that lane unless there are two of you. That's right. No mannequins. In the car. I found that babies count. Babies count. So. In car seats. And you've got one of those. Yeah. So I'll so be flying down there. You just need that <laughs> sign that says baby on board yeah, so that they yeah. know not to pull you over. Uh, meantime, no shortages of teams that want to poach our guys. No. The carousel, the coaching carousel is almost coming to a stop. There are only two jobs left. That's the Seattle Seahawks and the Washington Commanders. Both coordinators for the Lions are getting a visit from the Washington Commanders today in person. Um They're one of five finalists who are going through second interviews. They're going to make this decision in the next week. Johnson is the top candidate per reports. No one said that publicly. Yes. Can't we just hold them up a baggage claim or something? Well, it is terrible weather. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they can't make it in. This is our idea of a welcome wagon. Go back to Washington and (laughs) Seattle. Um, So, yeah, the coaching carousel is almost over. Nick, do you have something? Yeah, uh, Adam Schefter yesterday said he's not convinced Ben Johnson's going to be the guy in Washington. He said it could still happen, but um, there were a couple people who said it's kind of a done deal uh, right. after the game on Sunday, but Schefter says not 100% done. So. Well, he does have... He knows. It's... But Seattle is also talking to, right. to both of them, so hopefully. And another former U of M guy getting a lot of looks, Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald, yeah, there's this coaching um, carousel thing that you can follow on MSN, and all the same names sort of interviewed for all the jobs, and now there's just these two openings. But Mike McDonald was interviewed for a lot of jobs as well. So does this mean uh, the NFL or the teams are trying to tell Belichick he needs to just retire because nobody's talking about Bill Belichick? He's Yeah, he's not part of this this uh, search. <laughs> I think he wants to coach more, but I don't know if people want him to, to coach, coach more. But there has been a generational change. No, no question about the it. Names, the, uh, the people who are, have been hired, the names that are, are being considered are all young guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the move in the NFL right now. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is in his 60s, but other than that. Uh, we will await to see what happens there. It would be nice if we could just, hang, you know, maybe if he could say, I, and I realize you got to strike while your iron is really hot and nobody's as hotter than Ben Johnson, but Lord, it would be so nice if he could hang around for just one more season. One more season. It would be great. them the rest of the way. Um, by the way, we were all concerned about the Alaska Airlines door plug. Um, how on earth was it that those bolts weren't tightened? Well, it turns out maybe there were no bolts to tighten in the first place, that they were never put in at the factory when the plane was shipped. That's the exclusive. It's in the Wall Street Journal today that those bolts, which were supposed to secure that door that blew off in midair, were missing when it left the factory. And they know this because in looking at the door plug that they retrieved from the guy's yard, there was no scratching or um, any kind of telltale signs that the bolt had been forcibly removed. 
Uh, and so the add that, and there are some paperwork problems at the factory in terms of the oversight and checks that should have been done. So Boeing left. I would have preferred if the bolts were, weren't screwed in tightly, not that they weren't I, there I at all. Right. There, there are there are mistakes, and then there's the big oops, which yeah. is I'll oh, forgot to put those <laughs> things know. in. So not just not the, funny, haha. Was no. it the one plane, or could it have been well, many? Now that's the question. How many other lapses were there in? We that talked about oversight? this on Friday right. when yeah. you weren't here. There's this on kayak, this like nodule you could if you don't want a max nine plane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can opt out. Yeah. Yeah. Well. um Believe me, as I got on the flight back from Florida this weekend, I looked at, am I sitting, am I in an extra row? Yes. Am, am I in a door plug row, <laughs> row here? Uh, and how do I get out of that? In the meantime, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about a, a, an airline mystery of sorts. I should say an aviation yes. mystery going back more than 80 years. Could it be that we saw the disappearance of Amelia Earhart? That story next on JR Morning at 819. If your home's furnace has broken down, there's only one call to make, and it's the call that we made when Nick Roddy's furnace broke down. You call CNC Heating and Air Conditioning. You can call them at 800-MY-FURNACE, 800-693-8762. We know that being stuck in the cold weather in your home without a furnace, it's more than just uncomfortable. It's dangerous. You can break pipes. There can be significant damage. CNC Heating and Air Conditioning understands what's at stake. They've got nationally certified technicians, fully licensed and insured, and they offer 24-hour emergency care and response. And they've been doing it the right way for 75 years. The Corian family has been making sure that your family is safe and secure and that your heating and air, con- air conditioning system is up to par. Getting most installations completed in just a day. So during these cold months, make sure you get your furnace tuned up. Take advantage of CNC Heating and Air Conditioning's Carrier Cool Cash Savings when getting a new carrier furnace. Don't get stuck in the cold. Called 800-MY-FURNACE. That's 800-693-8762. And get installation of a new carrier heating and cooling system tomorrow. That's right, tomorrow. Visit cncheat.com. That's cncheat.com. Carrier, turn to the experts. 31 degrees and light snow out there. Be careful. The roadways are a little slick. You want to take your time getting to where you're going this morning. It remains one of the greatest aviation mysteries in history. What happened to Amelia Earhart? There have been hundreds of theories, but now there may be some concrete answers to the mystery. But it'll take a lot of time and a lot of money to get those answers. And WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne is here. She takes a look at the latest chapter in the saga of one of the world's greatest aviators. Marie, good morning. And good morning, everybody. It was 87 years ago that Amelia Earhart's plane disappeared as she and her navigator, Fred Noonan, were flying over the Pacific Ocean. She attempted to become the first female aviator to circle the globe. Now Tony Romeo, a pilot and former Air Force intelligence officer, says his team from Deep Sea Vision have captured a sonar image in the Pacific Ocean that appears to be Earhart's Lockheed 10E Electra aircraft. It was last September when the company began scanning. They went over about 5,000 square miles of the ocean floor. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Romeo says... 
uh, he, his submersible captured the sonar image of the aircraft-shaped object at about 16,000 feet below the Pacific Ocean's surface. And it was less than 100 miles from Howland Island. That's where Earhart and Noonan were supposed to stop and refuel, but then they vanished. Romeo's team didn't find the image until about three months into the trip, and at that stage it was not practical for them to turn around and go back and examine it further. Romeo says he spent $11 million of his own money to make this discovery. The company is now planning to launch another expedition uh, later this year with a camera to search for more evidence, like the plane's tail number. That's an important uh, documented piece of evidence. The return, though, would likely take maybe them into later this year, early next year. It'll cost millions of dollars more. And, guys, multiple deep-sea searches using these high-tech equipment have tried, but they've failed over the years to find Earhart's plane. So this is still uh, under investigation, but it appears hopeful. You know, with the technology the way it is, uh, this was only going to to happen more where you're going to have more of these types of searches using this high-tech equipment to to, to try to find it. Right, but the problem with the ocean is that it's big, really, really big. (laughs) Now, they had an idea on where, at this case at least, they had an idea of, okay, we need to look in this area. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still, uh, as the technology does get better, they can look deeper and get clearer pictures, that's for sure. But it's interesting in this case that they they took these images and then they went on, and then it wasn't until three months later that they went back and said, wow, you know, this really looks like a plane. Where was that? Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they didn't even know at the time that they had captured this image what's interesting and maybe i'm processing this because i want it to be her plane <laughs> mm-hmm. but i yeah. swear i can see the distinctive twin yeah. tail of that electra aircraft yeah you know it appears that there is a that there are two vertical stabilizers that show up on that sonar image yeah i agree with you there guy but you know i just i'm 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 skeptical i just i think mm-hmm. there needs to be a lot more information that has to come out on this uh before we can it's a, obviously call it Earhart's plane it's a little also a little bit too intact when you look at yeah right most, yeah yeah um it, if if it did crash it's it's unlikely that it landed well you know um right. so you wonder why it isn't more in pieces this looks like an intact uh, aircraft. So, but it is fascinating. And I can't right. believe and from this picture they thought that that's the plane. It's very grainy. Well, you know what? It's I, it reminds me of looking at um, like a, an ultrasound picture of a baby. Sometimes those early pictures mm-hmm. that we would see. I mean, it, it looked like a blob, right? But the people who are trained yeah. to see those things know what they're looking for. Um, and also, you know, in this case, Earhart um, is just such a figure in history. This would be magnificent if this was found and um, really, you know, we could research what happened to her and why it happened. You know, she uh, she was one of the first aviators, obviously, but she did a lot to get women into the air and right. women pilots into the air. So this would be a real mark for history. Well, we're going to stay on top of it, and we know you yeah. well as well. Marie Osborne, WJR Senior News Analyst. The RNC, uh, their in-house counsels have ruled that the removal of Christina Caramo as chair of the Michigan State Republican Party uh, was done fairly and uh, properly. Uh, And we have since learned that former President Donald Trump, who is 
bordering on becoming the presumptive nominee and therefore the head of the Republican Party, recognizes Pete Hoekstra as the legitimate chair. Um, the problem is, is that the other chair, Christina Caramo, doesn't yet recognize it. You know, the RNC unfortunately decided to unilaterally uh, on their website vacate the chair seat. Um, but we just had um, some updates that I won't discuss right now. Our legal team is preparing a public response for it. But the reality is I'm still legally the chair. And unfortunately, you know, we love President Trump, but he's been getting poor information um, from some individuals, unfortunately, because I'm still the chair. There has been no change. And ultimately, the state committee is the only one who has the authority to remove me as chair. And that has not occurred. Well, I bet our next yeah. guest has something to say about that. He is Pete Hoekstra who was elected in what the RNC recognized was a legitimate vote. He was elected as the chair of the Michigan Republican Party. He's also the former U.S. ambassador to the Netherlands under President Trump. Pete Hoekstra, good morning. Hey, good morning. So that was interesting. Uh, that was her speaking uh, with our Chris Renwick on JR Afternoon yesterday. She says the president is misled. Um, you say? I say I had a great conversation with the president on uh, on Friday night before he endorsed me. So, uh, you know, the president and I know each other. I I was his co-chair in Michigan in 2016 uh, when we won Michigan. I was a national security advisor through that campaign. I was a spokesperson for the campaign. Uh, I met with the president uh, a number of times while I was the ambassador to the Netherlands, and we took the prime minister and, uh, you know, delegations from the Netherlands to the White House. Uh, the president knows me very well. We had a very nice conversation on Friday night, and he said, hey, Pete, you need my endorsement, or would you like my endorsement? It, it said, absolutely, Mr. President, I would, uh, I would welcome your endorsement. And he says, when do you want it? I said, that would be nice to have it soon. He said, okay, it'll be out in 15 minutes. Uh, the president was wrong. He got it out in 10 minutes. So, uh, you know, the, the president's looking forward to, it's not personalities. He wants to put together the winning team in Michigan. He knows that if he wins Michigan, then there's a good chance he's the next president of the United States of America. So this is all about putting in place the, uh, the pieces of the puzzle that give him the best shot at winning the state of Michigan uh, in November. But does he understand that the RNC has not officially recognized you yet, even though they say the vote was proper? Uh, well, I mean, obviously they have indicated that uh, right now I'm going to most likely be the nominee. As we said before, they're dotting the I's, crossing the T's. This is a big move for uh, you know the state of Michigan, for the Republicans uh, in Michigan, and for the RNC. They want to get it right. I think within a week, eight days or so, they will uh, make the final adjudication that, uh, you know, that I am the chairperson of the Michigan Republican Party. Um, what about fundraising? Now that it seems things are moving in the right direction, can you uh, garner some support and some funds? Oh, absolutely. We, uh, we're working on putting together uh, three significant fundraisers in the next 30 days. Uh, the details for those will come out, uh, I think, fairly soon. And so, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, we've got not only the fundraisers, we've got a lot of the grassroots folks and those types of things. They want to get behind, they want to get past what's happened over the last 12, 13 months. They want to focus on what they do best and what they get energized. Number one, they're, they want to have fun 
infighting is no fun. And number two is they want to get energized uh, to win elections. That's what a that's what a state party does. It organizes it organizes individuals uh, and s- creates a structure uh, for those individuals to be successful uh, in executing elections. We know that social media plays a big role. Does uh, Karamo's faction still maintain control over the social media and the party's website? Uh, they do, uh, and our bank accounts. Uh, you know, until the uh, you know, we don't like being in court, uh, but uh, we are in court. So we we have a we have a an appearance in court today. We will uh, move then to go to a temporary restraining order or. Uh, you know, uh, something like that so that they are limited in what they can do with the accounts that they have. And ultimately, the decision will be made to transfer those uh, over to the Michigan Republican Party. At the beginning of, of, of Trump's tenure as president, there was a lot of energy put into bringing back manufacturing jobs instead of offshoring component manufacturing that we bring those jobs back here. Ford is trying to do that with some of the battery plants. That it has, but there are concerns about the licensing arrangements that they have with some of the technological leaders that are Chinese-based. Have we moved the goalposts on Ford? Are they being bad guys? Why are they being harassed for the the, the partners that they've chosen? Well, the uh, I don't know if they're being harassed. These are well, they're, they're trying to imagine. open an investigation yeah. into the the, the uh, partnership agreement with CATL. We know that it's. It's common practice for Chinese companies to have a relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. Nothing new about that. So how has this crossed the line different from where we were, say, six, seven years ago when we were trying to get those jobs here? Well, you know, in 2000, uh, we had this vote in Congress to provide, uh, to give China permanent normal trade relations. I actually voted against that. Uh, Why? Uh, Because I didn't trust China. But, you know, the arguments for or if, you know, if we give China this relationship, they're going to become like us. They're going to abide by the rule of law. They're going to become more open, more democratic. They're going to respect human rights and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Bring them into the world community. They'll become like us. But what we figured out and that your, your timing actually is pretty good. Five, six years ago, uh, the majority of uh, you know countries started to recognize, hey, that's not that's not happening. They're becoming more uh, abusive. Their human rights are getting worse. They're stealing our technology. They're becoming a global threat and all of those types of things. We didn't change. China changed, and it changed for the worse. Uh, and so, and they're becoming a much more significant international player threatening us, our values, and our system. And so China changed. And so in, in the light of that, our national government, Republicans and Democrats, mm-hmm. are recognizing this threat and saying we got to hold China accountable. And so a company like Cattle that comes in has relationships with their military, has relationships, excuse me, with North Korea, and is tied to the genocide of the Uyghurs. Those are not the kind of companies that we want to be doing business with uh, and that we want to put in place as significant uh, players uh, in our key industries, you know, we we've taken China out of the 5G discussion uh, in terms of uh, critical industries. You know, mm-hmm. Huawei, ZTE can't participate. Why? They are a threat to our national security. You know, China controlling uh, EVs and battery technology. 
that is a threat to our national security. And so, uh, yes, the, the federal government is paying due diligence uh, in investigating these relationships and China's motives uh, in putting in place these relationships. China's not doing these things to help America. We're not going to benefit from this. It's China and the Chinese Communist Party. And now, as we're seeing, it's also North Korea mm-hmm. uh, that may benefit from this relationship between Ford and cattle. Good idea in practice. It's tough in a global economy when it, things are you know, tied together. Yeah, as yeah. they're trying to be competitive and, and want to make sure that they have the best technological advantages out there. And unfortunately, a lot of those, you're right, are in the hands of, of China. China. Do they have an alternative that's U.S.-based in your mind? Oh, absolutely. Well, number one, you know, Ford has signed a number of battery agreements uh, with our friends, you know, South Korea, Germany, and those types of things. Uh, the other, you know, and those have also received significant uh, federal investments in those uh, in those projects. Yeah, look to our friends, look to our allies in Europe and in Asia, and create a real competitor. Uh, a dominant competitor to China, don't enrich them and enrich China. You know, this, EVs make up 5% of car sales today, roughly. Uh, you know, this is, China's not in a dominant position. This is an evolving marketplace. If Ford, GM, you know, if they put their time and energy in investments, and some of this is federal and state money, we can catch up. And we can pers- uh, we can pass them uh, in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. This is an evolving marketplace. This is one where the U.S. and our allies need to create a footprint and investment that enables us to jumpstart this industry and leapfrog over China and again get a dominant position uh, like we've done in so many other marketplaces. This is a, this is this this is a real potential win for. The U.S. We can do this. All right, Pete Hoekstra, We thank you for your time, and we will look for some kind of uh, additional Conclusion. additional clarification that will maybe <laughs> yeah. be acceptable to Christina Caramo, and maybe that will have to come through the courts. It certainly, it needs to come uh, more uh, more strongly from the RNC. But we appreciate your time and uh, those uh, those fundraisers. Let us know when uh, you can announce those. All right, sounds good. Thanks. All right. Pete Hoekstra, one of uh, presumably two chairs of the uh, Michigan Republican Party and trying to unify that party under his leadership. Uh, Much more on J.R. Morning when we return. Man, it only took just a whisper of snow, and we've got multiple accidents out there that Rene Vitale is uh, charting for us, so be careful on the way in, but leave plenty of extra time because it has become a much more uh, problematic commute net. Snow arrived actually about a half hour earlier than we thought it would. And uh, so for those that started late, uh, they're paying the price now. Um, Interesting story here. 69% of us get fewer than seven hours of sleep a night. Uh, This is according to a study done, and this was comes through people that were wearing the Apple Watch, which, mm. you know, I, it's I don't need to wear it to Apple know Watch. I, get I know, I less, get less than, than seven, seven hours. <laughs> that Apple Watch, though, is it's finding it, it's it knows more about me than me, you know, in terms of when I sleep and when I don't. And, and your heart rate. Your heart Are you steps? an AFib? All <laughs> right. that. Can you sleep you know? with a watch on, though? I can't. I mean, I'm like sleeping on my hand half the time. I yeah. feel like that's not comfortable. Well, I do have a, a permanent dial in, you know, embedded <laughs> in my my cheek here. But no, I I can 
Uh, but we're doing better than the rest of the nation. Um, when you look at it, it Michigan, it's uh, over 70 percent. Down in the, the Sunbelt states, Texas, Arizona, Florida, um, they get a lot less rest than we do up here. It may be because we're on the west part of the time zone mm-hmm. and we get a little bit more daylight than the rest of the the world. At least it possibly seems yeah. that, you know, we can the, the sun will stay around a, a little bit later. Um, also, uh, we've got the uh, scorecard on which automakers had the most recalls affecting the most vehicles. And this uh, champion for 2023 was Honda Motor Company. They only had 19 total recalls, which was less than a lot of the big three, but it affected 6.3 million vehicles. Ford was number two with 6.2 million, 58 total recalls. And of course, the ones that we do need to get addressed are the the, the airbag recalls mm-hmm. that are still out there. And people aren't heeding the warning no. to get this fixed, get Can't it get replaced. It you don't want that thing igniting and ending up with shrapnel. Um, yeah. And so by all means, if you've had one of those recalls, heed it. Um, we know that um, there are folks out there that will find a conspiracy in the sun coming up every morning. <laughs> And now this liaison between Travis Kelsey, who does promote vaccines, you know, for Pfizer, and Taylor Swift, who did endorse Joe Biden in 2020, which is as as an American is, you know, her right to do that. But this is turning into a major conspiracy for some on on, on on the far, far, far right. Look, you don't have to like Taylor Swift. You don't have to like their little romance that is, you right. know, plastered all over the NFL. But this is like full tinfoil hat, as the Daily Beast put it. <laughs> Vivek Ramaswamy tweeted, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. Uh, he said, and I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially culturally propped up couple this fall. Well, wait, wait, wait. Artificially culturally propped up. Just exactly what does that mean? I he think- probably doesn't know. I think maybe that it's just there's a lot of it and lots of shots of them and they just, you know, embraced on the field after they won the AFC. Perhaps that she is a generational star. Mm-hmm. She's allowed to do whatever she wants. She's he allowed is a to future be in a Hall of Famer. There's nothing that's been fraudulent or artificial about either one of their performances in their respective fields. They are standouts. They believe in this conspiracy theory that somehow the NFL is going to be rigged and they're using this couple to sort of garner support. And then eventually an endorsement is going to come for Joe Biden. It, 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 we shouldn't be surprised. She endorsed him in 2020. How right. would the NFL be involved in this? I mean, the chiefs were bad to start the season. So was that part of That's this? Right. We whole... beat them. <laughs> is that part of this? I mean, this is just not so stuff. Yeah. I, you, you just got to look at it and go, okay. And, and you know, they like to lean in. Vivek Ramaswamy loves the social media attention. There isn't any crazy thing that he won't lean into, but he always kind of backs the bank saying, well, you know, and he, he says, well, this is crazy speculation. But, but, yeah. And we wouldn't be talking about him one iota, but now we are because he talked about but, Taylor Swift. So Jack, perhaps that's calculated. Jack Posobiec, you know, you know who he is. He's that right, uh, far right media influencer very uh, active on x yes and uh you know championing the pizza gate 
you know, theory uh, said on X that he was thinking about when Taylor Swift called out the Soros family in 2019 for buying the rights to her music and then how she became a super liberal in 2020. Oh, that that has to be, you know, because they're connected. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, there are folks out there in media land that do what they do to get attention to those that are susceptible to these things. They're kind of scam artists. Sorry. I feel bad for her because she just went through this whole A.I. explicit photo thing. She can't do anything. She's a stalker in New York City and she's just trying to live. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, boohoo too much. She's got the resources to protect herself better than most but it's still got to be fine. But you're, you're right. And it's a daily it's, onslaught on yeah, her. Yeah. And it's and not her way, fault. Right. A lot of speculation, a lot of concern out there. Can she make her Tokyo concert date and then still make it to the Super Bowl? No problem. When you got your own jet, yeah. all these things become. People are just having possible. fun with it. And she apparently has the time and could make it. And I bet she makes it to the Super Bowl. Oh, oh she will. Oh, oh yeah. She will. And uh, barring some crazy something, but she will. So we'll, it's, ushers are half-time, ushers half-time. Uh, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. does, 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 does he maybe put a wireless headset up there and then she join in on a, on well, a I heard that on, she was not going to be part of that. You know, yeah. can they, can, can they, I think wouldn't she, that again, be a she just crazy? wants to watch her boyfriend play a little football guy. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. want to work. Well, yeah, cause she's just coming from, yeah, from 13 work. hours, you know, flying yeah. from uh, Japan. So yeah. He, Played some serious football on Sunday. I mean, he's that, playing his best that, football right now. Right. And it took him long enough. I mean, he did not have the same season that he had uh, you, early in the season. You can make bets if he's going to propose after the game. Oh, is that a oh, prop really? bet yeah, now? that the uh, right now if he's going to propose on here. the field after the game. Will he, will, wow. he, will he hold the Super Bowl trophy and get down on one knee? Uh, that would be pretty darn romantic. That, I think he should do it. <laughs> that's... At, at least he's oh, not going to be tossing Social media it. will go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, in, in the meantime, you know, I'm sure that's going to, that's all being orchestrated right now by the deep state. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. So okay. We, we, sh- we shall see. Um, that will do it for us. Uh, we're going to head on out of here, make way for all talk. Great conversation earlier today with uh, Lieutenant Mike Shaw about HOV lanes, but also about how you can help the family of Trooper Joel Pop, who was killed in a tragic accident up in uh, Bertrand uh, last week. You can go michigan.gov forward slash Joel Pop, and it will take you to the site, uh, the legit site, where you can uh, help that family. Also, great conversation with Alyssa Slotkin. Uh, she is calling out Republicans who are now saying, well, we need to wait to fix the border until after the election. Uh, but also says that Joe Biden needs to do a lot more, as she said, smack the Iranians in the mouth for the attacks they've launched against our soldiers. You can find all of it at WJR.com. We'll see you tomorrow.